2: Let's get to a look at market action with our guest. Ken Wong is with us. He is an Asian equity portfolio specialist at East Spring. He's on the line from Hong Kong. Ken, thanks for being with us. I think we can agree it's all about uh, interest rates right now, particularly the Fed being very aggressive in its tightening path. Uh, We're seeing a spike across the curve today in yield, particularly at the long end, which is kind of not what we saw yesterday. But that two-year yield at 412 is pretty stunning, I think you'll agree. How does this change your outlook for the equity market in the Asia-Pacific?
1: Well, the fact is is that when you look at Asian equity markets, um, there will definitely be impact. But a lot of this um, interest rate rises have already been priced in, into the markets, and hence, you know, that's where we've seen you know a lot of corrections this year uh, with most Asian equity markets. But overall, from a valuation standpoint, uh, we do see definitely valuations here in Asia still enticing, looking definitely you know more attractive when you look at it, earnings growth potential for the remainder of this year and well into 2023. Uh, earnings growth is actually looking, you know, fairly optimistic here in Asia despite, you know, what we're seeing in the US with the rising inflationary pressures. And of course, you know, the big elephant in the room of course when we talk about China, the fact is is that, you know, China is still running at very low interest rates. Uh inflationary pressures is definitely not an issue in China. Uh evaluation is definitely, you know, much more attractive and much more appealing as compared to the US. And this is kind of really where you know, we see the opportunity, especially with the National People's Congress coming up, and hopefully we can see some, uh, you know, more positive pro-market related policies to uh, to help the markets.
0: Yeah, in terms of that, uh, once presidency is confirmed for a third term, what sorts of changes, stimulus, relaxation of COVID restrictions are you anticipating?
1: Well, that's very difficult to say at the moment. But the fact is, is that, you know, it's going to be very important to see, you know, uh, first of all, to see who the newly elected uh, Politburo Politburo members are going to be to, you know, assist and work together with President Xi Jinping to, you know, enact on policies for the next five years. Uh, Hopefully, you know, with some of the new. Individuals who are going to be elected, you know, those individuals are going to be you know, more pro market. Uh, you know, and I think it's going to be also very important to see, you know, China's zero COVID policies, whether or not things will open up uh, maybe towards the end of this year or early next year, which will definitely help the market. And of course, the other thing that we also do need to uh, focus on is the property and really the down cycle that we've had in China over the past 12 to 18 months and specifically, you know, how things evolve going forward.
2: We were talking earlier about inflationary pressures, and I'm looking at the South Korean PPI number for uh, August, I guess. This is uh, 8.4% to the upside year over year. Uh, month on month, a little bit of a pullback. Where does this leave? Very quickly, Ken, in about 30 seconds, where does this leave the Bank of Korea, do you think? Um, well,
1: there's definitely going to be you know rising pressures. Um, PPI is one indicator. Obviously, we also need to see what the CPI indicators are going to be, and then ultimately to see you know where things are. But I think right now uh, you know South Korea probably will have to raise interest rates. Um, mm. You know, given the fact that you know most other countries are raising interest rates right now. So you know, yeah, definitely inflationary pressures will have some
2: impact. Yeah, and I wonder what that means for the South Korean economy because as we know, uh, private debt levels in South Korea, particularly among consumers, very elevated, and so a move up in rates will definitely create a little bit of discomfort on that.
0: And uh, can Brian mention there the yen and the intervention that the Ministry of Finance uh, finally conducted after much speculation? But the key question, as Brian mentioned, is it going to make a difference?
1: yeah the fact is is that you know there, there's still a lot that needs to be done um you know certain interventions that are done by central banks could help for a short period of time but overall you know you still have a situation where you know you, you you do have negative interest rates and specifically um you know if there's not further interactions or interventions that needs to be done uh it's tough to see how you know we can see this rise in the yen to be a bit more sustainable but ultimately it's also important for you know, Japanese yen to, you know, sort of maybe stay at these levels, especially if they want exports to be more competitive, if specifically more attraction for potentially uh, foreign direct investments into Japan. Those are all potential some of the benefits that a weak yen could actually have for Japan.
2: So well said. And uh, I would be curious to know how that changes your investment strategy on uh, Japanese assets right now.
1: Yeah. Overall, you know, we, we do like Japan quite a bit. Um, ultimately, when you look at where we are from an evaluation valuation perspective, Japanese equity markets right now are trading roughly about, you know, 12, 12 and a half times forward earnings. Uh, while earnings growth for this year remains fairly robust, you know, roughly about, you know, when we look at EPS growth around 15 to 17 percent for this year. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see specifically what's going to happen next year uh, if we continue to see a, a weekend, uh, potentially if exports do benefit, uh, if potentially we do see more foreign direct investments, tourism coming back now with uh, Japan opening up, that could potentially, you know, push forward earnings guidance as well as earnings estimates for 2023.
0: We did hear from Haruhiko Kuroda, the Bank of Japan governor, saying don't expect any change to monetary policy for two or three years, but his term does end next year, do you anticipate that we might see some policy alterations from the BOJ? It,
1: it, it's very hard to say. I mean, that's, that's still, you know, a bit way off into the, uh, into the future. And obviously things can change very quickly with how markets behave. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But right now, I think, you know, the Japanese government specifically uh, together with, uh, you know, the BOJ, they want to be very specific when it comes to, you know, trying to really, you know, keep yen at you know, at, at these really at these levels so that they can really potentially see some gains. Uh, in various ways,
2: we're also seeing a lot of weakness in the offshore Chinese yuan now, um, and I'm wondering whether or not you think that has uh, implications not only for the Party Congress next month, but for uh, any strategy as it applies to uh, investing in Chinese assets.
1: Yeah, I mean the the, the weakening of the RMB is something that you know I think a lot of people are keeping a close eye on as well right now because when you're looking at levels now, you know, close to seven one, um, you know. At the end of the day, when we look at, you know, what's happening with the renminbi and when we look at, you know, sort of these very different, you know, differentiating uh, interest rate policies as compared with the U.S., you know, this is definitely going to be something that will happen. But again, you know, having a weaker currency also is something that, you know, China could take to its advantage, you know, with specifically, uh, you know, more attractiveness for exports. Uh, specifically when we talk about, you know, earlier with Japan, uh, you know, potentially even attracting some foreign investments, uh, you know, going into China as well for those investors, you know, who are keen to uh, to look at China again. And ultimately, if China does, um, you know, open up, let's say next year, uh, then you're going to definitely start to see potentially, you know, flows heading back into China, especially when you have more business, uh, you know, business investors going back into China. Can very quickly.
0: Uh, do you think we've seen the last of uh, property woes in China? Just twenty seconds.
1: Uh, and, and it's it's very difficult to say, especially when we look at the tier one cities right now. Tier one cities, there's still a lot of concerns, and specifically, what type of policies can be enacted. Tier two, tier three cities, because now you know we are definitely seeing more government interventions and government support. You know, we could potentially see things, uh, you know, maybe bubbling very soon as a result mm-hmm. of a lot of these policy benefits.
0: All right, Ken Wong, Asian Equity Portfolio Specialist at eSpring. Thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what
1: you're made of. Visit bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.